we should have gone international faster than, than we did. Without the recommendation I have for SaaS founders from, from the Nordics in particular to, to really try to go outside the Nordics early on because for, for obvious reasons that's where, where the biggest market opportunity is and if you kind of set that type of pressure, you get the organization to face a different set of competitors early on, I think that can be beneficial for any organization. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO, and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Erik Fjellborg, CEO and founder of Quinix, and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. How are you today? After Christmas, before New Year's Eve? It's good. It's good. I'm uh, joining your podcast here from from the mountains in north of Sweden. So we've had a fantastic couple of days with, with a lot of snow. Amazing to hear. And then let's jump into it, Eric. First thing first, who is Eric? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. Well, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur who started out at an, at an early age, started building my, my business. And today I would also say that I'm a, a business leader and I've always been, been focused on software as a service throughout my, my career. And I'm also a father of two girls. I'm a husband, I'm a passionate skier and a couple of other things as well. But that would be the short summary. And if we, before we jump forward to what, your company doing basically the elevator pitch and the big why etc about clinics i want to just stay here because some of the listeners maybe don't know your story as i know it with the young what were you 19 or were you 18 or were you even younger not correct so so 18 years old when i when i started and i had a a part-time summer job at mcdonald's towards the end of high school where i uh, recognized that they had a challenge in terms of how they manage the work schedules, the communication around shift bookings, and that was the starting point of of the business. So me seeing that problem and then getting uh, the opportunity actually to start a Uveföretag, so a young a young enterprise company last year of of high school. Yeah, we, we, we will talk more about this, I assume, when we talk about uh, the why to Queenix, etc. But I, I, I think you are such a role model when coming up with the idea so young and still sticking with it and being like one of the basically kings, you can say kings of the sauce of the Nordics because you, you have done this for so long. But I will stay there for now and let's shift the focus towards Quinnick and what your company do, the elevator pitch. Sure, sure. And, and, and just as, as we talked about the beginning of, of Quinix, it's it's worth pointing out that we started around scheduling shift booking as quite a a let's say a quite a simple application in the beginning to today where it's a much larger uh, enterprise uh, platform uh, with a lot of capabilities. And Quinix today uh, we help companies manage, optimize, and engage their workforces. And uh, we built 
our, our cloud native platform around this and also have leading AI capabilities, great mobile apps. So the platform is quite, quite big today, ranging from how you forecast, how you understand the metrics of how much people you should employ, how you should plan them to the scheduling, the time recording, and then mobile apps to engage the workforce. And we've designed and built this application specifically for companies with large frontline workforces. So environments and organizations where employee scheduling is very challenging and where you require a powerful tool to be able to to run your workforce, workforce efficiently. And if we go back then now to the big why, I'd love to hear the why for people and for companies. Why did you founded Quinix? And also, what's the why now for Quinix? Well, well, just as, as we talked about, I saw this problem and uh, challenge that the McDonald's organization had and, and developed and designed a, a solution to solve that problem. And, and McDonald's became the first the first customer. And, and then gradually I realized that there's a big opportunity to take this product and sell it and, and help other organizations and, and employees. And just as the the capabilities of the product have expanded substantially over the years, I think our our purpose is is also uh, you know a bit bigger today than the purpose I had in the in the beginning. And and the purpose of Quinix today is to create a better work life for millions of people. And we do believe that if you run your workforce in in an efficient way and you allow for work schedules to be flexible so, so employees can decide and have more influence over the working hours, we're actually creating a much better work life. And over 80% of the global workforce are actually frontline workers, so not office workers. Right. And this part of the workforce, in, in my view, have been underserved by technology providers because most of them have focused on, on developing uh, technology for, for office workers. So there's a huge opportunity bringing modern, uh, you know, great technology to this part of, of the workforce. And so that's what we're doing at, at, at Quinix. And I think, you know, with the close to now 1.5 million employees we have on our platform, we're making quite a big impact uh, every day. Impressive. And thanks for sharing. And Eric, we have now arrived to a part of um, the interview that I call five quick ones. It's a quite, uh, yeah, the listeners love this segment. And now you need to be quick. I will throw up a word or sentence and you need to say the first sentence that comes to your mind. Understood? All right. Good. Here we go. Scheduling. Well, it's something that excites me and it's much more complicated and more interesting than people think. Your biggest role model? I'd say actually Frank uh, Slotman, the CEO of Snowflake, because I've just read his book and it's great. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a true role model within SaaS. Enterprise sales? Also something that's much more complicated and important than I first thought when I started building Quinix. And, and it's something that I think I can continue learning about for probably the rest of my career, because there's a lot to, to be learned. Something that's keeping you awake during the night. Well, we do have a, a eight-month-old baby at, at home, so that's that's one thing. And a second thing, probably data security hackers. You know, always making sure that our our platform is is secure. And the last one, your twenty twenty four highlights. 
I think we're going to sign a couple of plus 1 million euro ARR deals. That, that will be certainly, you know, highlights for, for the business. We're going to be profitable on a full year basis and we're going to continue our international expansion and see, you know, significant growth in, in all our geographies. Interesting. So, okay, from the answers you told me here, I would like to start with first Frank Slotman at Snowflake. Can you elaborate on what's so inspiring with him? I, I think he he has obviously built uh, a couple of the most impressive uh, brands and businesses within within SaaS, and I think his his leadership style and also what he's uh, sharing, you know, throughout you know his his book podcast in general is is principles and an approach to leadership that that resonates with with me. I mean, he's he's. Uh, very hands-on, I think a very strong leader, and I think he has the ability to set the right type of urgency in any organization. And that's why he's named his book Amp It Up, because he, he believes many organizations need to amp it up, up the tempo, increase the pressure to make sure that you run faster than uh, competition. And if we talk about your 2024, some of the highlights there, profitability. Yeah, we, we've been in earlier and then we've raised uh, capital, which we put to work, which which has meant that we've had negative EBTA for, for a number of years. But we became profitable and cash flow positive on a monthly basis, September of this year. But next year, we will be profitable for the full calendar year. So that's also like a, a second milestone. But we're actually already uh, profitable, which which is a big milestone. Yeah, hats off for that during these times. And uh, then you also mentioned more international expansion. Which are the core markets you, you will then target and why? Yeah, great, great question. So with Quinix today, we are in the Nordics, Germany, Netherlands, UK, US and Australia. That's where we have our own offices. We have our own teams. We have, however, implemented our software in more than 50 countries around the world because we've sold to a global business in the Netherlands or in the US that rolled out the software. But so going back to, to the regions that that we focus on, it will be continued focus on Northern Europe and North America. That's where the biggest market opportunity in workforce management is. And the great thing with Quinix is that we we have established businesses in these countries that have reached yeah. uh, scale. We have great reference customers in all these countries. We have great team members. We have a localized product uh, for these markets. Um, so what we're going to do in the next couple of years is to to go deeper in these markets. So grow the the existing geographies we we have. And, and, and needless to say, the market opportunity is huge in, in the US, Germany, UK. These are big markets where we can yeah. become many times bigger than, than, than we are today. And of course, you know, our home market, the Nordics, is also growing nicely, even if it's a slightly smaller market. It's a very yeah. healthy and stable foundation that we have in our business. So basically what I'm hearing, if I'm going to super simplify it, grow, grow where you stand with the customers you have and uh, twins or lookalikes towards them in the markets close by. Yeah, I think that's that, that's fairly correct. And, and you are also touching a subject when it comes to like the, the industry verticals we're focusing on. That is also actually remaining the same because we have so much work. And, and so much, you know, customers to sell to within these sectors. So, uh, yes. 
And if we then shift the focus towards not as happy things as profitability and expansions, etc., towards bad things or worst things, I'm now curious, Eric, to hear what's one of the worst things you have gone through as an entrepreneur? Well, I, I think it's really tough to to build a business from from scratch, and and anyone who's done that can can probably have probably been through a couple of you know tough tough episodes because when you are a small team a small business you don't have you don't have extra resources you don't have let's say that the, the margin to slip a couple of quarters in bookings like everything can be life or or death for for a small business so that can be quite quite stressful and I think you know, look, looking back, there's definitely been a couple of episodes with with Quinix that have been been stressful. A follow-on question around the topic of you as an entrepreneur is: I find this so curious. How has it been easy or very hard for you to like scale yourself with the company? Because I, I want to remind myself and also the listeners that you you have basically grown up with Quinix and leading Quinix. How do you uh, about this personal journey? I, I I think as a young entrepreneur, when you build your your business, it's extremely important that you manage to have people that you can learn from close by. Right, either it's your board of directors, you know, colleagues in the leadership team, mentors, advisors that can that can that can follow you and give advice. Right, and I think. I've been lucky to work with great investors, great board members already from from start, and also have you know received the advice early on that we should hire senior C level executives who built a couple of businesses before, right? So we've done that from early on, and I think that's been very important for me in order to develop and learn, you know, in in, in a pace so that I can still be a relevant leader for for a business of of Quinix size. So I think that that's very important, and and I think like mentors, I've had you know that as well, which is also important. Uh, but I do think you also need people with experience that you work with, let's say on a, on a daily basis, because if, if you're a mentor, you can get one sort of of advice, but they won't yeah. see you in action. They won't see yeah. how you run a meeting. They won't see how you how you manage a customer situation. So you need also to have people that you can that you can learn from that see you in in real life so to speak and i've been lucky to have that with quinix we have a really strong leadership team many have built many you know saas companies software companies before and that has really helped me develop but but you are definitely correct in a sense that quinix is an entirely different business to run and manage today than 10 years ago even you know 2 3 years ago it's a different business so it changes all the time and now I will actually not ask you a question right now because we will, another segment is in this podcast is that we have external questions from one, one or two people from the SaaS community. And today we are quickly joined by a person called Jonathan Brecke at Techonomic. And this is his question. Hi, Eric. If you could redo the first two years of Quinix and the last two years of Quinix journey, what's the main things you would do differently? I think on the first two years of, of of Quinix, you know, I I do believe in general we should have gone international faster than than we did. We should have probably 
it, it's always hard to tell what would happen, you know, what if, but but potentially entered the US market earlier than, than we did. I think we would have developed, you know, faster as an organization if we would have done that. And and I think, you know, maybe that's a recommendation I have for, for SaaS founders from, from the Nordics in particular to, to really try to go outside the Nordics early on, because for, for obvious reasons, that's where, where the biggest market opportunity is. And if you kind of set that type of pressure, you get the organization to face a different set of competitors early on, I think that can be beneficial for, for any organization. I think so. So the other part of the question is, so what what would I have done differently in the last two years? The first thing that comes to mind is is just seeing the the macroeconomic slowdown earlier. We, you know, we should we should slow down investment pace a bit earlier than than we did. But but again, it's always difficult to to predict the future. Jonathan, thank you for a great question and Eric for the answers. We move on to a topic of your choice. And this means that I now will sip it and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, Eric, for several minutes. The only rule here is that you need to be uh, yeah, a nerd within this topic and feel passion for it. The floor is yours. Great. I, th- I, think, I think I'll actually go, go back to internationalization that, that we just talked about because that's a, a topic within within SaaS and and software businesses that I'm very passionate about, that we've spent a lot of time at Quinix trying to figure out what is the best way to internationalize the business, how to open new markets and geographies. And, and I think we've learned a lot over, over the years. And I, I know this is also a topic that many Nordic SaaS companies struggle with and that, you know, it's a challenge for most SaaS companies, right? Yeah. And... I think the approach we've done with Quinix when we've entered key geographies is to actually do quite a, a bit of investment in terms of hiring a local team and sending over executives from the head office in Stockholm in uh, parallel. So you get the culture over, you get application, you know, knowledge uh, and expertise into the markets, you know, quickly. Um, so we've done that for for most of our our markets, and then you know, gradually, you know, put over more and more responsibility of the team that that we hire locally. Uh, and I think that approach has been been successful and something that I really recommend to try to send people over from, from Stockholm for at least a couple of years when setting the business up. And then I think, you know, you, you, you can't afford maybe as a small SaaS company to put in place all the the roles that you need in the beginning, but but I I would definitely recommend having at least a team of four, five, six people to get some sort of a, of a team feeling in the geography. And then as soon as you can afford and you can build that up to a team that covers all uh, the essential roles that you have in your business. So for, for Quinix, that would be uh, sales, marketing, uh, professional services, implementation, uh, for North America, we also do first line support locally, given uh, given the time zones, and and also you know operations support roles, sales operations, and so forth. Uh, that's that kind of been the approach that uh, we've applied uh, successfully at at Quinix. Um, and and then in terms, you just be very open in terms of adapting your go to market approach to be localized. So. So that it works and be successful in the specific market that you that you expand into, and I think with Quinix we've certainly 
made quite a lot of customizations or adaptations in our go-to-market for, for our various markets. This is super interesting, and I, I'm going to stay now on the topic of your choice, internationalization, uh, for a while, because you said several interesting things. Uh, the first, I want to just dive a bit deeper. You said start with around four to six people at the beginning, because you, yeah, it's expensive with people, as you and I know. Uh, but then you said, and as soon as you can build it up to a more proper organization, how many is that number, according to you? If you look at the yeah the first layer of more stable stable foundation in the US for Quinix. Well, I think when you get to a level where the local office can have an a proper after work party and it's it feels like it's a it's a a proper team you know whatever that is you know maybe you know fifteen twenty people upwards I, I think you you kind of reach a, a critical scale where you're not as vulnerable if someone leaves and, and you can you can kind of manage these type of, of events when, when it happens. And I think most people also find more motivation coming into an office, which has, you know, people in the office, there's this type of community sense. And that, that's always difficult if you try to build a satellite office with one or two people. It's just, it's just going to feel a little bit lonely, right? So, so I think, you know, great to get to that stage as soon as you can. And I think, you know, with Quinix now in the UK, for example, we are, I think, 70 people. Our, our Dutch office is also around 70, 75 people. Then it's a proper business, right? You, you, you really reach scale. You have certain revenue, of course. You have customers. You have something that, that will be more, let's say, self, self-sufficient and, and, and long-term. Uh, and I think for North America specifically, uh, we we try to build out the roles quicker because it's so much it, it's more difficult to help from Europe to the US just given the time zones right so so in the yeah. US we did a bigger investment getting all the essential roles there uh, as quickly as possible. So so you would say that you are a big fan of also building up a couple of few hubs with 20, 50, 70 people then have satellites and remotes all over the world, basically. hundred percent. And, and, and we, we, we've chosen that approach with Quinix that, that people belong to, to an office where they are expected to, you know, to, to come in, to have that sense of community tied to, to a hub. Right. Uh, so we, we think that's important and it's been, it's been uh, successful for us. And regarding adapting your go-to-market approach, so it's localized. I, I want to stay here also for a while. Uh, wh- wh- can you share what was the like biggest mistake when you early on when you didn't localize it? I think you know starting with the simple things are you know translations, and that's a simple thing just to 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 get it done properly for you know all the markets that you that you expand into. And I, and I think in our in the industry of workforce management, it, it is a little bit understanding what you are, you know, in terms of positioning in a specific market, because that can actually be quite different in Germany versus the US. Use what they what they call the functionality that you have, the capabilities, how the market is used to purchase this type of software, right? So you have to understand uh, understand that. I think the marketing message in itself have been very much adapted for the US market compared to most of our European markets where just the messaging we had didn't resonate with American uh, prospects 
uh, you know, as much as it did in Europe. So we've adapted that to a different type of message. I think the the pain points, the benefits that customers are looking for can be dramatically different between between markets. And I think, you know, finally also the type of lead generation that you do, you know, the the mix between investment into, uh, you know, BDRs, online events, you know, the marketing mix tend to look also quite differently depending on, on geography. I think we have gotten a quite good foothold now of, yeah, for a sausage you're listening to this, talking about your topic of choice, internationalization. At least I feel that I have got a much better understanding. It's my podcast, so I decide. So, so, so <laughs> we, we move on to almost a similar topic because you have already touched base there. Go to market. And now I don't want to be broad here. I want to be super narrow, Eric. If you need to mention one thing, the one thing that's the most important connected to go-to-market strategy according to you, what's that? Selecting your ideal customer profile carefully and correctly. I think the foc- you know, focus on you know, which customers is the most important piece of, of your strategy, especially in enterprise software, because you... You develop with your customers, you adapt yourself to your customers. So picking the right ones is very important. Super uh, interesting, very important. And now we're going to, you, you are going to help me create a mini handbook. Eric's mini handbook of, yeah, yeah <laughs> like three step or five step of where do we start if you tell me, okay, Joseph, we are going to select your ICP very carefully. Your three or five step handbook now. Lead me through the year. Well, the, the the key the key parameters to consider is you know what industry are you selling to, what size of customer are you selling to, in which geographies, and what's the user, what's the persona in the customer's organization that that you're trying to sell to. I think if you can map these you know things out and and have a discussion in your leadership team around. You know, most likely you're not going to be fully aligned in the leadership team what that map should look like. And then that, that's just something that constantly needs to be debated. And But it's an important discussion to, to have and try to narrow down what you focus on. And then I think also number two, have a discussion on how should we manage a lead coming in that is outside our, our ICP, right? Because for many organizations, the right thing is not to to do uh, nothing outside your ICP because sometimes you need to kind of grow, have, let's say, opportunity to grow into uh, new verticals and new markets as well. But that approach and the willingness of, you know, what risk to take, how it all connects to uh, your product roadmap, product development is something uh, that is super important to align in the leadership team. And uh, this last part, how should a lead outside the ICP be managed? I'm wondering, how do you manage a lead with the outside your ICP? So we have a qualification process for, for the sales organization where we, because the risk, if you have something that's outside ICP, let's say it's a vertical you haven't done before, the yeah. risk is, of course, that the customer will ask for features that you don't have. The risk yeah. is that you're going to spend a lot of time in the sales process. And in the end, you're not going to win because you don't have the references, you don't have the partners, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. you need a qualification process that helps 
the sales organization to qualify early is this something we should do or not right and sometimes you know that the 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 qualification will say yeah this is actually an opportunity where we should take the risk we should take the risk to invest in the sales process and we're willing to take the risk to implement this customer because we think for various reasons that it's an interesting customer for us to to engage with and looking back with Quinix, this that is of course how the expansion of our ideal customer profile have worked that is how we did our first deals in healthcare in in warehousing is to kind of take these steps outside you see what worked maybe you commit a little bit of your R&D resources to develop features for this type of customer. And then you can uh, hopefully see that um, that strategy paying off in, in the long term. Uh, but uh, having, having, having some type of process on what to do when it happens probably makes sense. Thank you. Okay, so leaving go to market as general and talking about marketing. What's the main thing or channel that's basically generating the most leads for you right now? I don't have the 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 exact data for right now, right now, but I can I can tell you a couple More of things that's been, like, yeah. been successful for us for us over the years. And and this comment is 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 you know perhaps mostly to to enterprise you know relevant for enterprise software companies when you sell to. Yeah. To a bit larger accounts, because you know, for us approaching the, the bigger uh, accounts and prospects, actually the partnership with analyst firms have been very important. So you you make sure that you have a partnership with the analyst firms, for example, Gartner, Forrester, and there's others too, and that they they spend time, they include you in the report, and then you remarket the report. So you in partnership with the analyst, you actually do marketing around that specific report. And that has been, I think, very successful for us because you can leverage the brand name a little bit of the of the analyst firm that gives them credibility to your campaign because you don't have that credibility when you enter a new market and no one knows your, your brand name. So that has been quite successful for us. Very interesting. And then talking some outreach then. I with VAM are building a sales tool and outreach tool. So I'm super curious to collect data points within this field. And now I don't, Eric, want to hear about your outreach process. I basically want to understand the best way, your preferred way of being contacted in a modern buyer's journey for B2B. How do you like to get approached? Well, great. A great question. I, you know, you're thinking back on let's say cold cold emails being received i i'd always i think what gets my attention if it's it's uh, personalized it talks to a challenge that is relevant for us right now and always when our 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 competition or relevant peers are are mentioned like yeah, hey you know we're we're doing this solution for a couple of companies that i look up to that that always you know gets my attention uh, in that sense and you said email, would email or LinkedIn, like, obviously I understand that it's async and not sync then, but is it email or LinkedIn or something else that gets your attention the best? Yeah, but I think I think LinkedIn and maybe other executives have the same experience. I, I think LinkedIn is getting getting a bit difficult because you if you, you i get so many so many messages on linkedin that i i don't i don't read any of them because it's just too much right it, it's just yeah 
too too crowded, too much noise, and so with with the increased AI and automation, I do expect like all these messages will just increase, and that will be interesting to see if it's even going to be a a channel where you can reach a sea level because it's just going to be too too much too much messages. So yeah, good. Okay, and this means that we are entering the roundup now. So we only have a few questions left. And the first thing here is book tips. What's your favorite book or books right now connected to yeah business approach? That's my, my favorite business book all time would be The Hard Thing About Hard Things with Ben Horowitz. I think that's a, that's a great one. That's a must read for, for any entrepreneur. This is the second time I hear this recommendation in just uh, I can like imagine, yeah. one, one month or one and a half month. <laughs> so if you haven't uh, read this book, you listen, read it now, ASAP. Okay, second last question. Can you share one of your favorite life mottos? Well, I'll actually go with a recent one. I just, I just listened to an interview with, with Jeff Bezos on the Lex Friedman podcast, which which was great, by the way. And... And Jeff, you know, said one of one of his mottos was stubborn on vision, but flexible on the details. And I really liked that statement. I, I think it makes a lot of sense and something to keep in mind for for any business leader. Yeah, I I love that quote too. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Amazing, stubborn on vision, but flexible on details. And the very last question, then Eric. And now you are talking to yourself, the younger self. Think t- ten years back if you would give yourself the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know what would you tell yourself so i would say act quicker more decisively with more self-confidence learn how to sort out noise and what i mean with that is learn how to focus on the problems and the challenges that really matters and and learn how to sort out everything else because time is short when you run a fast growth business and you have to learn very quickly to try to allocate your time uh, where it matters so from my understanding i don't know if i'm super down now but that this was two things right or am i missing something you're probably right it was two (laughs) <laughs> act quicker more decisive and things around that and then learn how to sort out noise and maybe 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 a third one then so as it goes back to the other theme we discussed it's it's just have have the courage to to go international early on i i i, I like this last part because it's with the, the red thread towards this episode, and this episode will most likely be like how to internationalize your company or something like that. I love that you throw in this last part. Yeah. Excellent. And with these words, I'm now shifting the focus towards you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, don't be selfish. If you got value here from Eric, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Eric in B2B SaaS And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Eric, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the SaaS community to keep on learning. Thank you, Josef. Uh, thanks for being a part of your, your podcast. And uh, it was a great discussion today. Thank you. Thank you.